0: People make companies and you need to take into account the culture, the environment, what you're trying to achieve to work out what ingredients you need to make a successful company.
1: Hello and welcome to female business angel podcast. In this week's episode, we have Georgie Smallwood who is the CPO of Tier Mobility and she's an angel scout for Excel, for the well-known VC fund. We're super excited to have her here and we'll learn a lot about communities, building networks and uplifting other women. Stay tuned.
0: Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. I got really excited when you were telling me about the podcast and I I just think it's so important to talk about these things openly and I, we had such a great conversation in the coffee
1: shop, we thought, why not take it online? <laughs> That's true. So now you can tune into our coffee shop conversation and uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it.
0: I'm Georgie Smallwood. Uh, uh, by day, I'm the Chief Product Officer at Tier Mobility. And before that, I was the Chief Product Officer at N26. Um, and I've worked in tech for 15 years. I think I've been saying 15 years for a long time, but I'm always just going to say 15 years because then I don't age. <laughs> um, That's but, a good <laughs> number. Yeah. <laughs> Seems experienced, but still young. <laughs> um, and so I have worked in lots of countries in the world. I'm Australian. I was born, grew up in Melbourne. And uh, I started my digital, I guess, digital tech career at REA Group, which is realestate.com.au. Um, and was just really fortunate to join at a stage where it was kind of going through an insane hypergrowth period and learnt to really love that environment and that scale up pace. And the demands, you know, are crazy, but the highs are crazy too. And the successes are amazing. And there's a, there's a real camaraderie in tech, yeah. which I love. Um, And so I was really fortunate to work with amazing people there and I got some incredible opportunities. One of them was going to Hong Kong to help with the Hong Kong business and uh, help set up the Chinese business. Um, That was really interesting because I had been, I think, quite successful in Australia and I was quite young, quite maybe slightly arrogant and i thought that i was like oh, okay i can do this in hong kong no problem <laughs> send me to a different market totally different culture and i completely fell on my face right like i was was, I was it your
1: first time in asia?
0: It was my first time in asia. I was very naive to the whole thing. Um i thought we would go and we would just learn heaps of stuff about tech and what well, different isn't it? it's it's hugely different <laughs> and and they're incredibly savvy tech technologically but not commercially. So like can, okay. can do amazing things with with tech, Um, but commercializing technology and advertising and things like that, they're actually quite far behind because of infrastructure, because of Um, there's a lot of smartphone penetration, but there wasn't a lot of connected smartphone penetration because not everyone has a plan because not everyone has a bank account.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Yeah. So you had all of these different constraints. So we were building these amazing uh, ads in Australia and takeover pages and things like that. Whereas... But so it was a digital publisher. Like yeah, it was a publisher digital there. publisher. Okay. Yeah. And uh, predominantly marketplaces, right? So classified marketplaces. Yeah. But in Hong Kong, right, if you don't have internet access through your smartphone, then you are using it on public Wi-Fi, often on buses and things like that. There's a lot of public Wi-Fi infrastructure, but it's really light. So you have to think about your app size for downloads. You have to think about the content that's in those different things than uh, in Australia. But also from a team perspective, I thought, you know, I could grow a team, a high-performing culture, and you want all of those things to be the same, but you have to do them a completely different way because building a high-performing team in an Asian culture is incredibly different to an Australian culture. And so once I <laughs> fell flat on my face <laughs> um, and I got some really good advice from people who'd done this before me and they were like, okay, you need to look at different people, you need to, you need to be almost like what we would have considered a micromanager in Australia, Um, you know, that was showing attention in the Chinese culture, right? That you cared and you were on top of the topics. Did you
1: have a mentor? Did the company provide you with a mentor? Or were you reading books on doing business in the intercultural
0: environment? How was it? I actually found a mentor um, in a guy called Jake who was at Seek Asia. uh, And he was from Australia and had come over and was working with a a very local team. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was also different to a UK company, which is called Haymarket, who I was also working with. Uh, And they had decided that they were going to import talent, right? So they were going to get over the difference by saying, well, we're just going to bring the talent from the UK Mm -hmm. and embed it. But then you turn over a lot of staff that way. So Jake had decided that he was going to do things differently. He was going to embrace the local culture. And so he really helped me to understand kind of the the types of people and what they need to be high-performing.
1: So that, that was that's awesome. An interesting learning, I guess. So, there, for me, the takeaway would be find a mentor or a sparring partner who's been
0: there before. And yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, like, like you, you, you try not to make all the same mistakes, right? Like on your own, exactly. <laughs> yeah. right? Otherwise, you're always gonna, you know, every time you do something, you're going to be making the same mistakes that people have made in the past. And I think just be a bit smarter than that. Try not to make, <laughs> yeah. try not to make the the baseline mistakes. Make the next level mistakes. <laughs> um, and then uh, after that I got the opportunity to come to to Germany and work on IPO for Scout 24, which again culturally was massively different like Australians versus uh, Chinese or Cantonese culture uh, versus German culture is like the final change yeah. <laughs> three polar opposites right um, but but what I learned in Hong Kong helped me here, which was that, um people make companies and you need to take into account the culture, the environment, what you're trying to achieve to work out what ingredients you need to make a successful company. So
1: that's fascinating I guess yeah that's it's really all about people at the end of the day yeah. And, and so so tell us, how did you get into, into angel investing? Because that's about people as well. Like, Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I kind of got into it because of people as well. So uh, when I was at N26, you know, we had such a, it was such an insane hyper growth company, still is, um, and always pushing the boundaries and very entrepreneurial. And Max and Valentin have always right from the very beginning believed in, Investing in entrepreneurs, and they wanted to grow entrepreneurs at N26. And when you grow a company that quickly, obviously, not everyone wants to be in every stage of the organization. So when I joined, I started the didn't start the product team. There was a couple there, Um, but really, we took it from pretty much no product organization to like a really big product organization with fifty product managers, forty designers, product marketing research, everything, in two and a half years. Yeah, and uh, I wish I could say that we kind of grew organically. There was no turnover. There was uh, none of that, but there was definitely um, all of those things. So um, there is a high level of churn risk when you're growing that fast. It's always fast. a bump, you're right,
1: isn't it? Yeah. Looking back at things.
0: But, yeah. And I think that the the challenge is to be open, right, because it's okay for people to choose. In fact, it's the right thing for people to look at what they're doing, like, clearly and say, do I want to go into this next stage, right? I love scale-up phases and I choose to join companies in this phase. I don't really want to be in a corporate company. I've thought about it um, and I've interviewed uh, in places that are bigger and more structured and I love this phase. So why is it strange that someone who was part of the first two years of an organisation is then deciding that they want to stay in the first two years of an organisation, so you need to kind of open that conversation because then you also get returners, right? And people who try something else and maybe they decide that, yeah, that's great. They want to do that. Or maybe they decide they want to come back and, and yeah.
1: learn the next phase. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, having been through their insane journey at Spotify in two countries. So yeah. from like 150 employees to 8,000 when I left. That's insane. Yeah, it's <laughs> absolutely crazy. But that's true. You have You have to match the company's growth stage so yeah. to be at your best and so right now you are in the in the perfect sweet spot right by being a CPO of tier
0: yeah i love it i yeah. love it and one of the but one of the things that really triggered my angel investment interest was was this entrepreneurial culture and uh, a lot of people who chose to leave my team while I was at N26 went on to start companies um, and I thought that was fantastic and Max and Valentin are very good at investing in in companies that come out of N26. Mm-hmm. But I did notice that there was a lot of similarities in the people that were getting funded uh, and were starting companies and were being successful, um, not necessarily just because they had the best idea but also because they were... It was easier to invest in them. They had better connections. They had a better network, and it was very heavily skewed to white men. And while I am so proud of the work that they've done, I also want to see that that success be spread fairly. And so, when a cell reached out to me and they said, "You know, we want to start the starter program in Europe, and um, would you be part of the program?" and I said, "Look, I." I really don't have a lot of interest being an investment manager, but I advise heaps of female founders, and I, I'm a mentor. Just as a and, hobby, yeah, just as a hobby, and and I like I want to help. Right? I want to be part of it, and I think when once I realised that. The experience that I've had—it took me a long time to realize the, the benefit of it. Actually valuable, exactly. To others. Yeah. You know, and in in a half an hour conversation, I mean, I talk really fast, so I can get like a lot of good nuggets into a half hour chat with someone. Stuff that took me 15 years to figure out, and they can skip those mistakes, right? And it can be massively beneficial. And one of the things they were telling me though was that they just couldn't get investment. And so by joining the starter program with a cell, I could also add that to the benefit. When did benefit. that happen? About a year and a half ago.
1: Okay, so it's pretty recent. Yeah. It feels like it's been forever because you're, I don't know, at least in my view and in my bubble, like here in Berlin and in Europe, you're super established. Everyone knows you. So actually, like we are now here at scene. Who kindly provide us this like amazing podcast facility? So uh, they were really looking forward to meet you. Vladi was really happy to, to meet you offline finally. So you are kind of a celebrity. <laughs> so it feels like it's been forever. Yeah, I mean, I
0: think uh, uh, it's 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 awesome. I love it as well, yeah. right? So I think um, it was very important to me that I use whatever position I've gained for something other than myself, right? And what I found was that, especially being the CPO of N26, which was quite a famous company, right? Um, And it had done very well globally, and was a lot of attention from the press and from things like that. An Amazing product, amazing brand. Exactly. And it gave me a profile that I didn't have before. And I was getting asked to do podcasts and talks and and that had never happened to me before, right I just worked right I didn't uh, I didn't really do a lot of speaking events and things like that. and once I realized that this was getting a lot of traction and I was talking about and everyone wanted to know about me and I I struggled very much with that. I, I, I don't really understand why people would want to hear about me. But as soon as I spoke to Holly Bennett at a cell and said, right, I will join the SL program as long as I can define my own investment thesis. And I only want to invest in teams that, have, that are female, women founded or have a woman founder with equal percentage on the cap table, right? And that was a bit that I added later once I realized how much diversity washing there was yeah. <laughs> uh, in, in the investment scene. Um, and they said, yeah, sure, do whatever you want. And so then all of a sudden, anytime anyone asks me to speak, I also talk about this, right? And so I'm able to spread the word a lot further
1: um, just by talking. So being an ambassador for female empowerment and entrepreneurship for diversity in general and giving back to the community from your own experience rather than just like talking about yourself. Yeah, yeah. so passing it
0: on, right? I'm a big believer and that's why... Um, a similar time that I joined a cell as an investor, I also started a female entrepreneurship network called Auxilia. And, That's true. Yeah. And Auxilia is really about, I mean, it, it's Latin for helping hand, right? It's the whole point is that women are are becoming more senior, right? We're gaining more power. Year, every year we're gaining more power. Um, maybe not fast enough
1: <laughs> as we would like, but it's we never are never fast enough. But no, exactly. Small steps. We are in this together.
0: That's right. And so, every small step that we take, we should also reach hands out to other people so that we can take bigger steps the next year. And I think that if we if we pass that on, even if it's I mean, I am not independently wealthy, right? I, I am. It's great that I can use the the funds from a cell to do that, but you don't need funding. You don't need to just be funding people to help, right? A twenty minute conversation, an introduction over LinkedIn to someone else, like all these things have huge impact on on other women. And so, I'm a big believer in network. And one of the things that when I started uh, with a cell and I looked at investments was that. I was like, why aren't people investing in more women-founded companies? And I asked a lot of people. I asked investment managers that I knew. I asked a lot of founders. And their answers were just non... What did you find out? It's, it was kind of non-conclusive. They didn't know anyone. So
1: right. there was no pipeline, basically. No, Well, they? they were like, we don't
0: see enough of them, yeah. or we, or there's not enough women founders. I'm like, there are enough women founders, right? We're not
1: elevating them up. There's no not enough hands being held out. What is the percentage of your deal you flow, like more or less, female founders? Is it like hundred ninety fifty percent from my. Well, I, yeah. I I only look at. Sorry, at okay. I only look at okay. um, women
0: founders. Um, And one of the things that uh, really drove Auxilia was that once it got out that I was investing with a seller, I had heaps of people pitching for me. And I have this now generic LinkedIn response, which is like, that's a great pitch, but I only invest in in teams that have a woman co-founder. And there's various responses that I get to that. Like the the extreme is like, I shouldn't be discriminated against for not having a female co-founder, Uh, All the way to, um, we've tried really hard. We believe in diversity, but we haven't found a woman Mm. who has the skills to to fill the co-founder position. And I always found that answer the most interesting because I was like, well, what are you looking for? Is it a commercial co-founder, a product co-founder, a marketing? Because I know a lot of them. And all of a sudden I started placing co-founders and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to be a recruiter. <laughs> like I yeah. have a job. I but don't... you
1: have that's right, you have a co-founder section on on the app or in the LinkedIn group. I mean, I'm i yeah. yeah I'm and mostly using investors' room, like posting some deals there. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: it's it, it's awesome because then I was like, okay, so this is getting some traction. And so then I put a LinkedIn post up and I said if you're a founder looking for a female co-founder or woman co-founder because I don't care how you were born, I only care how you identify. If you are a woman co-founder and you're looking for, you're looking for one or you're looking for an early stage team member and you want to build a diverse team, then fill in this form, right? In 3 months I had 240 roles open, wow. right? So it's there. The problem is no they don't have the network right so they don't know who to reach out to to find more women who are interested in putting their hand up for co-founding positions and women who might have the ambition or the talent to be co-founders also don't have the network where they get asked if they want to be right so we need to create these spaces and these networks where women are connecting with other women so that we can make that for men with women as well I
1: mean
0: the, the more diverse
1: the better for sure yeah for because sure it's also there are also statistics that women tend to co-found with other women I'm a big fan of yeah of like the broadest diversity set possible because yeah. if we are building global products for the whole planet Earth yeah. well we are 50 fifty men and women and it's good if we have different backgrounds from different cultures but yeah i totally agree it's about building bridges and it's giving back to the community and building the community yeah. so how many members do you have in auxilia what's the latest number um over a thousand. Oh wow yeah like europe mostly or is it is it global or is it it's global europe? uh oh, wow. it's a it's a it's heavily
0: skewed to europe um, but we have about 10% in the States and 5% in Australia. <laughs> yeah, it
1: will probably grow if you're going home for Christmas. <laughs> yeah, that's
0: right. And then and everywhere I go, I kind of collect a new set of, of people who join. But And it's a real mix of people, right? Like not every, not all those thousand people are going to found a company. Um, but what's great about it is there are there is a place for women to go, which is a safe place, right? It is just women, Auxilia, um, and I thought very much about it not being just women, and maybe in the future it, w- it will be. But I also think that women need to support each other, right? And this is one of the things, and we talk a lot about the boys' club and how it's hard to break into um I, I, whether it's a boys' club or not i think is is beside the point, but we need a community right yeah.
1: I think it all starts with the communities. I mean, even looking back at the human history, somehow it's actually funny because yesterday I uh, had a, like a coffee date with a friend. She She's a fashion designer. So her background is in fashion. So a different world. Yeah. Not startups and investment and like product building or marketing. So she started in a very traditional fashion company. And I asked her, like, how was it for you? How was your day to day? Because, well, I started at this hypergrowth growth company, so it was very different. And she said, there were mostly women, so my boss was kind of difficult and uh, it, was, uh, yeah, it was not very friendly. So it, like this sisterhood vibe, which she sees is there now, even in the fashion industry, that is pretty different from our tech yes. bubble, I guess. So it was not there. No. It was like ten, fifteen years ago as well. So she really had tough time, and she's a very nice, friendly, like supportive person, and yeah. uh, really talented. And I, I thought it's, it, it's good there are these changes happening now. So with them, um, yeah, with, with the sisterhood approach, and uh, I think now the next challenge will be to. Bring everybody together I mean at some point it shouldn't matter, right? No
0: yeah exactly. I mean that's not dissimilar to my experience. Yeah. So before I moved into tech I worked in magazines which was heavily female. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't the greatest time at all, right? Like I think there was there was very much a feeling that the women that were senior had worked really hard to get where they were and that was absolutely true. Um, But there was a bit of a – there was certainly a feeling, I think, in the younger women that they – there was a ceiling being put on by the women before because they had worked so hard to get where they are and it was a little bit easier for us. But then that's how it should be, right? And I want, you know, the the women that come after me for it to be easier for them. I don't want it
1: to be as hard. Exactly, lifting them up, not like being proud of, okay, I'm the only woman in this room and that should stay this way. And if you're my intern or like junior manager, you have to prove for years that you can be in this room. Yeah. Wow. So I, yeah. I think I've experienced it a bit once in the um, I, I worked in the marketing department like briefly and in another company. So yeah. um but yeah, we, we should change that for better. So how many going back to angel investing, like mm-hmm. which is our podcast topic, how many angel angel investments have uh, have you done so far? I was trying to remember, um which probably <laughs> tells cool. you. Yeah, right and that's, and a a good, that's a
0: good yeah. Uh nine or ten. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I um I, I really focused on it quite heavily for 12 months. Um, I've taken a little bit of a step back now, uh, just because, you know, I have a day job as well, yeah. <laughs> which, uh, which is quite big. And uh, it does take a lot of time. Angel CPR investing. by day, angel investor
1: <laughs> by night. Exactly. Community manager in between. Yes. And a mum.
0: <laughs> yeah, and a mum, And a mum of an eight-year-old, yeah. Um, but uh, I think... Uh, yeah, and that, foodie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <and a furniture. laughs> exactly. I need time to find the, re- yeah. the right oyster bar to go to. Um, but uh, yeah, I've done eight or nine and, and I, they're amazing. The companies are phenomenal. So some of them uh, are pretty well known in the scene. I invested in Remy uh, really early. That's how we met. Yeah, that's how yeah. we met. Yeah. And I mean, uh, they reached out to me on Twitter, like cold and were like, hey, we have got this idea. Do you want to be want to be in and I was like yeah yeah send me the picture I've actually discovered
1: them on Auxilla
0: yeah yeah they are
1: yeah yeah and then I've also well I had some other people referring them to me
0: yeah 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 no they're fantastic they're Valerie and Rebecca are phenomenal and they uh, are great advocates as well like they're building in public they're documenting all of their kind of process on deck
1: heritage yeah yeah
0: exactly um, I also invested in Hey Finner, which is a female investment platform. Um, Sudor in the UK, which is a fitness content platform, which is super cool and has a really different um, view of community uh, okay. and creating communities for um, personal trainers themselves. What do than they do differently? Well, I mean, you could consider them like a, a vertical YouTube, right? Um, and one of the things I really look when I look at investments is, what are the multiple revenue streams that you have, right? I don't like to, I don't invest in products that only have single revenue streams. I think uh, you need, in this day and age, especially with COVID and the way that the world is changing so rapidly, you need multiple revenue streams to be able to to pivot fast enough, right? And to be able to pull different levers in your monetization model. Um, and so Sudor is, yes, it's a it's a vertical content platform for personal trainers to be able to. Mm publish their their sessions, um, which I think is great. And I think from a consumer perspective, we're moving to this model of, you know, asynchronous um, or at least consuming content through a screen. Um, And we should probably consume some exercise content as well as just And also the social
1: vertical networks.
0: (laughs) right? Exactly. So on the consumer side, I love it. Um, But what I also really love is the small business side of it. So building these relationships with these content creators. So what I love is that uh, personal training is completely diverse, right? So you could pay 100 pounds for a session in London, which is might not be as good content as the 17 pounds that you pay in Manchester, or the five Pounds that you pay in Brazil for the most incredible Zumba class, right? And so, what uh, what the internet does, and this is what I love about technology, is technology at its heart should democratize things. And so, totally. it, if someone in in Brazil is running a phenomenal dance class, well, they should be paying a being paid a global price for that, right? And you can you can lever that on and off depending on market if you want to. But actually people in London... Having the global rate. Yeah, or, yeah, like people in London, if you if you start charging 80 pounds, like they will pay for that because that's the kind of the normal standard. And maybe you offer it for 10 in Brazil because that's the normal standard there. But it gives actually these small business owners much larger reach and much higher potential revenue. Exposure. Yeah, exactly. So I love the fact that it, it not only democratizes access to the content, but it also democratizes the creation of the content as well. Yeah,
1: that, that's I have to check this out. Yeah, it's, yeah It it's sounds really like cool. it's an interesting one, especially in dancing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Hopefully, we'll not close clubs again. Like yeah, I know. In so, I but know. in the worst case, we can dance online. So, Absolutely. And uh, how do you remember your first angel investment? How did it happen? Um, the, I don't know which one was
0: my first actually. I think it was hey Um, And that was a, a, an introduction from my CEO, Lawrence, the CEO of Tia. Um, and he had invested in Heyfina and they were looking for... You've already stepped into your uh, scouting role? Yeah. And they, had, um, they were looking for someone to help from a product perspective. And I... Was introduced from that perspective. So often, I get introduced into teams uh, from an advice capacity, um, and then the investment comes um, off the back of that. But um, when I when I look at teams and I look at the the products that they're building and the teams, yes, obviously I invest in, in diverse teams, but it's not just for equality purposes, right? I think that fundamentally, if what the companies that we're investing in today are the companies that are going to be the Facebooks and the Googles of tomorrow. like something At least. Exactly. Let's hope so. <laughs> um, let's hope we can do That's better. That's the minimum <laughs> outcome. Let's think big. <laughs> That's right. Um, and so part of my kind of the reason for my investment thesis is that if we're only investing in ideas that are created by such a small percentage of society, then actually we're not changing what the future is going to look like at all, right? And uh, I often talk to investors about why they're not investing in in more women-founded companies, and I get a lot of disappointing answers, a lot of interesting answers, but a lot of them are like, well, women tend to build things in mental health or yeah. uh, education, or, education or, yeah. or, or, you know, fem, femtech. And, uh, you know, I I'm focused on fintech or this or that. I'm like, yeah, but to be perfectly honest, we don't need any more fintechs, right? We really need uh, solutions for underrepresented parts of the world. Like we need education solutions. We Mental health is the biggest crisis, is a bigger crisis than corona, right? It's just silent because no one's talking about it. And so I invest in companies that I think are solving problems that are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger in the future. So I, I do focus on areas like mental health, like education, like fitness, Um, And there's a a US company I invested in called Clay, uh, Mm -hmm. which is a pediatric platform. Um, And when I first heard it, I was like, oh, another baby platform. And they were like, no, 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 no. Like, this is like six to 16. And we're going to focus on bullying. And I was like... Yes, please. Because these are things that, yeah, and no one knows what to do, right? And we need to democratise help in that respect as well. So I tend to use my investment. I often turn down companies that are great because they will have no problem getting investment. So I tend to use my investment capability to say, right, I'll come in because then investment is a bit of a game, And this is, I didn't realise this until I got into it. So often it's you call a million people, a couple of people come back to you and they say, who else is in? It's the
1: circle, yeah. It's a complete circle. If someone is in, I'm in. Exactly. Someone with a well-known name.
0: Yeah. And if there's no one in, they say, call me when you've got someone on the hook. I'm like, yeah, that's why I'm calling you. Yeah. Um, And so I tend to use my investment capability to be that first person. So I don't lead rounds because I'm... I'm, But you're an anchor investor. But I'm an anchor investor, yeah. And I'm happy to have conversations with investors about why I invested in that company um, so that they can get a run on the yeah. round. How does
1: that feel, like being an anchor investor? I'm an anchor investor in one startup so far, from yeah. the music, film, like productivity licensing space, which is really close to my background. Yeah. But yeah, how how does it feel for you? I like I I I very yeah.
0: proud of it. Um, I think that's it's something that, not just investing, right? It's more than that. It's giving people an opportunity for other people to see the potential that they have. Um, And if the world needs pre-validation for that, then as much as I would prefer the world wasn't like that, I can't change the world, what I can do is take steps to make sure that I can make a small impact. Take your own stand. Exactly, exactly. And, And I'm in this great position where other people seem to think that that's a good indication, Okay. so I want to leverage that as much as possible.
1: Th- that's really cool. Does't it feel like a bit of a pressure as well <laughs> not to make wrong moves? So also you know being a voice and like the role model for well for, for the female entrepreneurship for diversity for like picking some really underrepresented business ideas Yeah' it, 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 it not can... to following not to follow the mainstream also.
0: It it can be a lot of pressure, um, and at certain points in the last five years, when I've really been in this role, I have felt a lot of pressure, and sometimes I get incredibly upset at the situation um, because even. I mean, I'm I'm doing all of these things, and I, I'm I'm not a perfect person, right? Like, I still make plenty of mistakes. Some of those might be that I I don't think investing in companies that don't make it to be Google is not a, is a mistake. Uh, I think you need to like everything. You need a million irons in the fire, um, and some of them are going to come off, right? And and some of them will come off for reasons that are very clear and others will come off for reasons that you're like oh my god how did that even happen oh well let's just go with it the unexpected yeah exactly um, and some uh, there's a there's a heap of luck involved there's a decent be. chunk of timing management um it's not just talent right um, but it it can be a lot of pressure because we tend to look at women leaders and hope that they fulfil all of our hopes and desires of what we want women to achieve in the future. I promise you I cannot deliver that. Um, I, still, I still make mistakes. I say the wrong thing. I disappoint people. Um, but I think what has helped me is, especially with, this, with investing and with advising, and I'm doing everything that I can. Right? so I mean, I you're trying to make the difference exactly, and that might not be enough for some people. It might be too much for other people. But really, it doesn't matter. In the end, I have to make my own decisions. Um, I mean, I faced a, a bit of a reality check in that I have full disclosure: a fully male direct report team, and uh, I dun, 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 dun. exactly <laughs> right. Um, and I have uh, I have looked for as I open roles, I make sure I do all the things right. I make sure that the and don't pipeline, repeat yourself. <laughs> I, I, I make sure that the pipelines are diverse. I spend extra time making sure that we can bring people in. I I make sure that we have women in the pipeline that maybe on paper don't look like they would fit into the pipeline, but it's not always the paper CV that matters.
1: Absolutely.
0: Not. Um, and as I go through different roles and if I don't find a, a woman candidate that's successful, I still have to fill the role, right? I still am a commercial product leader. I'm, I'm not in an NGO. I'm a venture, we're always venture backed. We still have to get things done. And so what I, I got really disappointed in myself a couple of months ago and I was like, how do I, how can I stand by what I say and what I do when I'm not hiring them? I'm not, I'm not hiring diverse teams and there's, there is some catch up that we need to do, right? There are not a lot of women in product at a very, very senior level. And to be honest, the ones that are, are such demand that the price for them is exorbitant, right? Like so that you can command uh, a a huge amount of, uh, of remuneration, um, and so my role now is to make sure that the next line of women, because that's where we lose women, at a lot of head of level, um, and it might be because the, the pressure is, increases or because sca- I'm in, in scale yeah. up, it might be because head of level happens around about early 30s and lo- we want to have kids so we take yeah. some time out and then we need to decide if we want to come back and a lot of companies aren't super, you know, it's not easy yeah. to come back. Um, into those roles, welcome back. Policy
1: is not always there. Exactly, I think it's in general the thing in the society. So, it, I mean, politi- yeah. politicians have to get sharp as well. Yeah,
0: but so my I focus think. is so yes, I'll always make sure that where we have the right processes in place to ensure that we hire the best person for the job, but we also have the the right candidate pool to pick from. But then my new purpose is making sure that. The next time that role opens,
1: it's a much easier process to hire it, and then you will have a homegrown talent, probably or maybe I don't know a new maternity leave policy in place or job sharing. And I think we need
0: to focus uh, very heavily, especially in in hypergrowth tech companies, on growing women into senior roles. Um, And I have no problem in, in doing that and having specific programs for women to do that. Absolutely. Well, yeah. sounds
1: like you are on a mission, so, and that's a shared mission. Like totally. <laughs> absolutely, like with our podcast as well. Uh, since we're running out of time, I have a last question to you. So, what is the advice you would give to aspiring female angel investors to the women who would like to get into it? So, I don't know if it's advice, but
0: what I want to tell you is, before I did it, I thought being an investor, even just the investing scene. Was so far out of what my capabilities was, uh, because it's so distant, right, from operating. Um, Sounds very finance heavy, like seven day heavy. That's
1: that's what I was thinking as well. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and it's not, right? So it's about. Uh, it's about, especially with angel investing and coming early in stage. at a really early stage, it's about it's about gut feel. It's about intuition. It's about using your experience and the mistakes that you've made and what you've seen to advise companies to to not hit those things. And I think that um, we all have
1: that capability. And it's about people and community and network. Well, exactly. Coming back to the beginning of the yeah. conversation.
0: And the other thing is, I thought, so I've made a number of small personal investments. And I always thought when people talked about being an angel investor that these were like, Sixty thousand euro tickets, and I can't. I'm not even remotely close to affording that. But there are lots of different ways that you can get into angel investing. Like there are a lot of crowdsourcing options these days, and um, and platforms that you can invest in companies at much smaller ticket sizes of of three k, right? And uh, and even don't think that you have to be like, oh, I'm going to be an angel investor. Uh, I need to do 10 investments. Like you're an angel investor if you take your 1500 bonus check and you put it into a a crowd platform and you say, right, I've now invested in this. The project and the team you'd like to support.
1: Yeah. And maybe like aspiring angel investors could also start by just giving back to the community like you started before you were contacted to become a scout. So maybe just like, helping, trying to give back to the community, mentor yeah. other founders or maybe just more junior people at your company. So Exactly. I, I think
0: investor has this perception of funds, right? And it doesn't have to be. You can invest time and energy in, in companies as well. So if you've been thinking about it and you want to know like what you can do, I just, just join. I mean, Auxilia is just is a LinkedIn group, right, of like-minded people and and maybe join uh, and then put a post up and say, hey, this is what I'm good at. I would love to help someone. I can do half an hour once a month right? Does anyone want my help? Right? Then all of a sudden, you know, you're paying it back into the system. And it has a huge multiplier effect.
1: Yeah. And I think it, you receive so much back. Uh, it's, it's so rewarding. Yeah. So yeah, we will be posting a link to Auxilia awesome. on, on the podcast. And on uh, we, will, we have an Instagram channel. So yeah, sign up, check this out. If you have any questions, also, like feel free to reach out to us on what's the best, the best way to reach you. Uh, probably on LinkedIn. That's
0: okay. the best way to do it. Uh, I'm also on Twitter under Georgie underscore Smalls, um, but that's more just like tweeting. That's by night as well.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it was great having you, Georgie Smallwood, the CPO of Tier Mobility and Angels Code for Axel. Thank you very much. It was Thank awesome you. to be here. Bye. Bye.